Well, we, I'm uh, grateful that we prayed for, um, for me <laughs> in uh, explaining God's word this morning because the passage that we have before us this morning is, is a verse that, that puts in front of our eyes a truth that um, we have to be careful about when we interact with it. For if we're not careful, we'll bounce off of it and go in a direction that God doesn't intend. It's an easy truth to misunderstand. And so um, I'm grateful that we've prayed and asked that God will work and help us as we, as we look at this verse. Um, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's on page uh, 1411. Uh, in this passage, um, we've been moving through. If you're a guest with us, we're, we're working our way through the book of 1 Timothy. And we've come to verse 16, the last verse in chapter 4. But in order to give us the context, uh, we'll start reading back in verse 11. <clears throat> in verse 11, it says, Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith and purity show yourself an example of those who believe until i come give attention to the public reading of scripture to exhortation and teaching do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery take pains with these things be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Like I said, we'll focus on on verse 16, which says, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now, it may be that the version of the Bible that you have, the, the English translation that you have, states the end of this verse a little differently. Many of them do. And that's because um, in the underlying original language, it basically says at the end, of verse 16 it says for as you do this you will save yourself and the, and those who hear you and your hearers you will save yourself and your hearers now the version of the bible that we use is tr- tried to kind of uh grapple with that idea and they said you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you but now this raises a question actually it raises various questions and i'm going to ask two questions this morning and I'm going to try to answer each question. And as I ask and answer a question, then I'm going to think a little while about implications that that has for, for our lives, both as individuals as well as, as a church, as group of Christians together. And the first question is this. If it says there at the end of 16, <clears throat> now as you do this, you will save yourself and those who hear you, in what sense does Timothy save other people? That's the question that comes to mind, right? How is it that Paul can be saying to Timothy that, that if he does certain things, he'll save other people? I mean, is he contradicting himself? 
Paul has always stressed that God saves, right? Not us. So what does he mean here that Timothy, by doing certain things, will save people? Well, let's, let's remember first why we're asking that question. God has said through the Apostle Paul that, and, and others that it's God who is the Savior and we don't save ourselves. In Colossians 1.13, and by the way, I'm going to read several verses from different places. You don't have to try to keep up with me. I'll just mention the verse and read it to you. And here and there we'll actually look at certain passages. But in Colossians 1.13... It says this, for he, meaning God, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's God who rescued us, that verse says. It's God who transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. We didn't rescue ourselves. We don't transfer ourselves from one kingdom kingdom to another. God does that. And then in a passage that's often we, we think of when we think along these lines is Ephesians chapter 2. Listen, beginning at verse 4, it says, But God, it's a, now in this passage, he's already talked about how sin has so affected us and so destroyed us. And then it says in verse 4, Ephesians 2, 4, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's made it very clear there that it's God who's made us alive. Amen? We were, we were dead because of our sin, spiritually dead. God made us alive. He raised us up with Christ. He's seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. It's by grace that we have been saved. It's not by the works that we do. That Our working doesn't produce our salvation. God, by his grace, does it. And this theme runs all the way through the scripture. And even we've seen it already in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Just look at verse 10. Notice who's called the Savior. So it's 1 Timothy 4.10. For it is, for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior. We're not called the Savior in scripture. Amen. God is the Savior. Jesus Christ is our Savior. So the scripture teaches very clearly that God saves us. He delivers us from our sin. And so that's why we ask this question. Then what then does Paul mean here when he's saying, Now, Timothy, if you do these things, as you do them, you will save yourself and those who hear you. God saves. I think the answer is this, is that God is the one who saves, but he used, he uses people to do that. And those people that he's using are messengers and explainers of the gospel. Other people, people are used by God to explain the truth to other people that God then saves them with. Amen. Does that make sense? 
And so sometimes Paul and even some of the other apostles will speak as if they're saving people or another person like Timothy will save someone. But what their meaning is, is that you're just doing your part. You're transferring the message from God to others and God is then saving them. You know, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, listen to what Paul said. He said, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. Now, that's the same one that's just said that it's for by grace that we're saved. It's not by our works. Paul knows that he doesn't actually save them, but he's saying, I'm going to do everything I can so that God will use me and the message through me in other people so that they will become saved. And so in that sense, he says, I do everything I can so that I can save people. James, the apostle, said the same thing in chapter 5, verse 20. He said, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death. But James knows that it's not the actual person saving their soul. He's just being used by God to do that. And so that is what Paul means with Timothy. And he's saying here that, Timothy, if you're very careful, be careful... And if you do these things and apply yourself to these things, you will be the means by which other people will enter into salvation. And here's the point. And the point is this, that people and what they teach or explain or speak are used by God in the process of God saving other people. Amen? People. Any people here? If you're, if you're a people, raise your hand. Yeah. People are used by God in the process by which God saves other people. We can be used by God to do that. I want us to think here, though, about two serious implications of this truth and of this passage. Look again at verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. So he's saying to Timothy, yourself, and we'll talk about this in a minute, and to your teaching. Pay close attention to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you're going to save other people. One implication of this is that there is a great seriousness attached to what we teach as a church. There's a great seriousness about what it is that we actually spend our time talking about as a church, as a group of believers. We mustn't stray from this book. We must stick on this book. There's pressures all around us to talk about all kinds of things, but our job is to talk about this book. Amen? I remember one time, one of our great privileges as being missionaries was that every time we traveled back and forth from Africa, we always went through Europe and because the planes went that way. That's the way the airplanes went. And we developed relationships with some people out in England and at other places. And um, I remember one time we were just come out of Africa. And every time you do that, you know, you, you kind of look like you just came out of Africa. 
Yeah, anyway, you have to live through it to know it. But, uh, know what I mean. But anyway, so we went in England to a, uh, a church, and I'll, I'll rem- the kind of church it was is ir- irrelevant right now, so I won't mention it. But so there we are, we're getting ready to go to church. We, uh, we march in there, our family, and we had five, Bi- you know, each of our kids had their Bible. We thought this was normal. I had a Bible, my wife had a Bible, all of us had Bibles. We walked in there and and we started wondering, you know, <laughs> I think there were five Bibles in the church. There might have been one more. The pastor might have had one, I'm not sure. And then when we went through the thing, the service, <laughs> and we came out, our kids were about yay high. They weren't really little, they were about yay high. And my one daughter says, how come there wasn't a sermon? And I said, you remember that part about after such and such happened? You remember he talked for a little while? She said, yeah. I said, that was the sermon. She said, that wasn't a sermon. (laughs) We have got to be serious about what we teach as a church. There are many churches that just drift away from this book. And they talk about all kinds of stuff. Nice stuff. It's usually nice. But we're going to talk about the Bible with God being our help. And we mustn't stray then. Not only should we be careful that we stick to this book, we have to be very careful that we don't stray from accurate teaching about what this book teaches us concerning salvation. We need to stay on course. There are always pressures to push us off of the actual saving truths of the gospel. Every generation faces its own challenges. And um, there are winds blowing, believe me, in the American church right now that are trying to push us off of the goal of what is the gospel? How does a person actually get reconciled with God? I remember, I'm thinking in my mind of this one lake that sometimes our family goes to to get away from things. And we we have a canoe and uh, we're in a little inlet of the lake. And sometimes for exercise, I'll be, I'll grab a, uh, you know, paddle and start paddling the canoe out. And when you break out across, like often there's an inlet across the lake. And I'll aim for the lake and just try to paddle across the lake and get there. And when you get out of the inlet, the wind hits you and there's a wind coming down across. And so I'll point the canoe there and, and I'll paddle for a while and look up and I'm not pointing the right way anymore. I got to correct and correct and correct. And I have to correct my course all the way across the lake because the wind is blowing. And friends, there are winds blowing in the American church today that are concerning, greatly concerning. And we must not stray from the actual truths that this book teaches us concerning how is a person made right with God? How is a person set free from their guilt and enters into a, a right relationship with God? How does that happen? This book tells us, and we stick with this book. 
So there's a great seriousness attached to what we teach as a church. But you know what? There's a second implication, and it's all, it's all wrapped up in this. It's almost the same, but hang with me. It's actually a little bit different. There is a great, secondly, there's a great importance attached to teaching. You see, it's not only what we teach, it's that we teach. Amen? This this says, look at verse 16 again. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, to the teaching there. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. To your teaching, you see. And that's why in a Sunday morning service, we give a lot of time to opening this book and thinking about what is it actually saying. That's why in Sunday school classes, we open the book and we talk about what it says. That's why in small groups and all those small groups, there's a, a greater emphasis on the fellowship time together. Yet still there's the word of God there. That's why in the youth meetings of all the, all the youth meetings that we do, there's always time in this book. Helping people to understand the truth that's in this book is crucial to people entering into salvation. Do you believe that? Yeah. Not everyone looks at it that way. Some people expect ceremonies of the church, religious ceremonies, to to, to um, contribute to their salvation rather than the understanding of truths that are in this book. Let me venture to give you an illustration, and I don't mean this to be offensive in any way, so hang with me in this. And if you're a guest, I don't, I don't usually spend time talking about other churches. It's not, that's not where I'm coming from, but, but I think it's important enough for me to say this, and I'm not mentioning any names of churches, but it's important for you to catch the distinction that I'm trying to make right now. I want us to think for a moment about communion, the Lord's Supper, okay? Um, the Eucharist is called in some places, but Eucharist, Lord's Supper, communion. Some churches, perhaps you've been uh, a part of them or you visited them or whatever, see that communion ceremony as being very important to undergo and the importance of going through it it's if you if you go through it that's going to affect your salvation that may even help you get saved but here's the deal here's my point it doesn't matter so much what you understand about it what matters is that the religious official says all the right words, does all the right things, and then at the right time, you come and you partake in it. And it doesn't really matter if you understand. What matters is that you have undergone this ceremony or rite. Do you understand? You catch that? There's supposed to be some kind of spiritual happening to you, some kind of giving of grace to you that somehow is going to make a difference now about whether you get to heaven or not. And it doesn't matter if you understand, it just matters that you go through the ceremony. We reject that. 
This says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Because understanding truth is the first step in salvation. It's not a ceremony. And communion is important. I'm not saying that. It's not important, but it's not ceremonies. It's not rites that that get you to heaven, that get you reconciled with God. The first step is understanding truth. Jesus said in John 8 to those who Jews who had believed him, he says, if you continue in my word, you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Amen? It's in John 8, 31 and 32. It's, it's, the, it's the understanding of truth as God opens my mind and tr- I, I comprehend things that I never comprehended before. That's the first step of being saved. And so there's great importance in teaching. In teaching. And we will, by God's help, always teach. We'll spend time in this book and we'll strive for us to understand it because that's where salvation is found. Well, let's go on to the second question. Uh, Second question then. It says here, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things for as you do this, you will both save yourself and those who hear you. Well, the second question is, in what sense does Timothy save himself? What does Paul mean here? You'll save yourself because we already know that it's God who saves. But what do you mean by that? Maybe did he mean here's the question. Did he mean that Timothy wasn't saved? Did he mean that? Well, actually, no. And you can see that really quick. If you look at first Timothy one, verse two, he says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, Paul did not look at Timothy as being unsaved. So that wasn't it. Well, then what did he mean? Did he mean that Timothy, if he wasn't careful, could lose his salvation? Is that what he meant? Well, we have to get again, look at places in scripture that teach us about that. And we see very clearly that if a person is truly reconciled with God they can't become unreconciled with God if they're truly born again they're not going to be unborn again Jesus in John chapter 10 he said this my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The picture Jesus gives us there is beautiful. He says, if you're you're one of God's, he's taken you in his hand. And nobody, nothing can get his fingers off of you. Amen? Amen. And even Jesus said in John 6, 44, listen to this. He said, No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. This is a beautiful verse. He's saying, Jesus is saying, nobody comes to faith in in Jesus Christ unless the father draws that person to faith. And then Jesus says, and that person I will raise up on the last day. The end is sure. 
Because it's God who saves. Amen? Amen. But (laughs) the Bible is not a systematic theology book. It's interesting. What do I mean by that? Most of you don't have a systematic theology book on your shelf. And that's not so bad. I have a bunch of them. They're great. They're always big, really big. They're always like almost bigger than the Bible. And you wonder about that. But anyway, uh, and then what they do is they try to take the Bible and, and in logical form, they, they try to arrange the truths of the Bible in a big outline that makes sense. Okay. And it's helpful. I have lots of them. I refer to them, but it's interesting to me that God didn't give his truth to us in that form he gave it to us this way with stories and prophets thundering with other stories about christ coming and the new church growing and then epistles written and then the book of revelation you see god wrote it differently and he did it that way for for a purpose and in his writings Although we know that one who is truly born again will be raised up on the last day. He also has things like this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What was that? He says, in this gospel, you're saved. If you hold fast the word, implying that if you don't, what then? And then turn with me to Colossians. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. It's on page 1400, if you're using one of our Bibles. This is beautiful. It says, yet he... Oh, wait for a second. I hear the pages turning. Colossians 1... Verse 22. Yet he, meaning Christ, has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. It's pointing there, you see, to his death on the cross where that great transaction was made. Jesus stood in for us and satisfied the justice of God for us. And he says... He's reconciled you through that death, not, not through what you did, but through that death. He says, in order to present you before him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach, after we die, he says, if you're in that death of Christ, if that's, if that's counted for you, if you're in it, you've been reconciled to God through that death of Jesus Christ, in the end, after death, you'll be presented before God, not in fear, but holy and blameless and beyond reproach. You'll be okay before God. This is good news. But look at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. If you continue in it, if you're not moved away from it, yes, then you will be presented before God, holy and blameless. And what I want to say here is that this, I believe, is the the tension that we feel that rises up here in first timothy four sixteen, where 
Timothy is being told by Paul, you've got to pay attention to yourself. You've got to pay attention to your teaching. Because by doing that, you'll save yourself. You'll finish the race. You'll get to the end still in the faith, is what he's saying. People and what they teach and what they hold on to are used by God in the process of ensuring that they themselves and others finish their life in the faith. That, I believe, is what's being said here in 1 Timothy 4. Let me say it again. People and what they teach and what they hold to are used by God in the process of ensuring that they themselves and others finish their life in the faith. Let's think about this for a minute. I think um, uh, there's several implications. For one, uh, number one, we each bear responsibility to encourage each other in finishing this race that we're in. Listen to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. It says, take care. Brethren, that there be not in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, our part, we bear a responsibility for each other. We've got to encourage each other with the word of God to continue in the faith. Real reconciliation with God is not an event only it begins when a person believes first first believes but it continues real faith continues to the end and we can have a we have a part in encouraging each other and helping each other reach the end But like we bear responsibility for each other, second implication of this truth is that we bear responsibility um, to keep ourselves in the faith. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others... I myself will not be disqualified. Even the Apostle Paul said, I look carefully to myself because I don't want to be disqualified. I want to reach the end. A third implication of this is is the following. We must not allow ourselves to be deceived into thinking that we in any way earn our salvation. Hopefully you're still there at Colossians. Look again at verse, what it says in verse 22. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. That's how a person is reconciled with God, is through the death of Jesus Christ on their behalf. Then look verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, and it says in the faith. It doesn't just say in faith. It says in the faith. Meaning there is a faith and that faith is in the Jesus and his death for you. Amen. That's the faith. And he's saying, if you continue in that faith and then he says, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, the hope of the gospel is Jesus Christ. 
Amen? And we must be careful. Each of us must be careful. That, that Satan, the great deceiver, doesn't move into our life and get us thinking that somehow we are meriting or earning our own salvation. The faith, the hope is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And you won't finish in the, the race. You'll be disqualified. You'll fall away from the faith if you begin to think that you are adding to what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing you do adds to that. That's where your faith is. And then lastly, I want to end on this. We must not allow ourselves to be deceived into thinking that we can live however we want Because someday in the past, we professed faith in Christ. You see here in verse, okay, now we're back first uh, Timothy 4.16. He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. He's saying, pay attention to yourself, Timothy. Pay attention to yourself, your life. I, uh, I know a man who... Actually, we were, in col- we were in college together and um, in a Christian group together. And, you know, we're all living for God. Or so, it, so it appeared. And later, okay, we're all years go by. And now he, I mean, at the point I'm telling this story, then at some point he, he's married and has children. And then he begins to live in adultery. So he's... He's with another woman and cheating on his wife, but it all comes to be in the open. He's confronted with it and he refuses to repent. He refuses to stop. The elders of the church get him together. Um, This is somewhere else. It's not here. It's somewhere far away. The elders of the church get him together and they say, by the teaching of this Bible, you... You say you're a Christian, but this Bible, that, this is disagreeing with you. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. You know, I believed. So he's saying that, no, no, sometime in the past, I said I believed. Yeah, but the scripture says you, you can't do what you're doing. That Christians don't do that. Christians who are actually born again. Don't just keep walking straight forward in sin, knowing it's sin, not remorseful. And they just keep on doing it and just keep on living that way. This book says, and he says, but no, 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 I, I believed. What happens in a case like this? You see, the elders were right. They were saying that this book gives you no assurance that you are a Christian. None. But some of you, I know, you're thinking, but, 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 he, 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 he believed. He, maybe he prayed the sinner's prayer. Maybe he raised his hand in a meeting someday. Maybe he came up front, but, 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 but he believed. Listen to me. He said he believed. And that's all you and I know. He professed to believe. That's all you and I know. But now, today, he lives in blatant sin against God, willingly sinning against God, not turning back from it. 
And he has no assurance from this book that he's a Christian. Just because he said something in the past, that saying something in the past does not, does not mean anything if his life doesn't match it. Timothy, Paul says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Because, see, people say, but, but, but he believed, and those who really believe can't lose their salvation, right? Well, here's the way the scripture's written. The scripture says, those who really believe persevere to the end. And he right now is not persevering to the end. No, you see, he professed to believe. Only God knows the heart. But you can't just say that because I prayed some prayer back in the past or because I said something and other people say, hey, you're, you're a Christian now, congratulations. But, but you're living in direct opposition to what the Bible says. You're going to bank on that back there where you said something, I believe, to give you confidence. The scripture says no. You've got to walk with God. Your life has to show and match up with your profession. Now, we all sin. We all sin. But hopefully this illustration is helping you see that. But we don't all live in willful, direct disobedience, knowing what we're doing, unremorseful and not turning from it. We don't live that way. But we all fall here and there. Some of you may be living under the deception that you are a Christian, but you are really not. And may God use this passage to speak to you and to say to you, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not actually a Christian. And if that's your case, listen to God. He's speaking to you now. He's speaking to you and saying, turn and come and trust Jesus Christ actually and get into my hand, God is saying, so that I'll never let you go. If God is speaking to you, come to him. Come to Jesus Christ Run to him. I'm going to be waiting down here after the service. Uh, an elder and his wife will be over here for, for prayer. You can talk to us or call and make an appointment. And talk to me or any of the pastors. But turn to Christ. Really. Shed the deception that because you said something sometime in the past, that that kind of somehow covers it. Live in dependence on the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let him set you free. Let's stand together. I could say more, but let's, let's stand and pray. I know that some people have tender consciences. And perhaps what I've said might unsettle some who don't need to be unsettled. Um, I trust that's not the case. But I also say in all sol- solemnness that my friend... As one theologian said, there is, a, there is a path to hell at the very gate of heaven. There are people that walk along and think they're making it right into heaven. And right before the gate, they find out they've actually been on another path. 
Those who persevere to the end will be saved. That's what the scripture says. The scripture doesn't say those who pray some prayer in the past, bingo, I'm good. I can live however I want. Scripture doesn't speak that way. We speak that way. The scripture doesn't speak that way. And so I say to you, make sure that you are actually trusting in Jesus Christ and that he has actually saved you. And if you have any question whatsoever, let's talk. Father, I am not adequate to explain these truths, but your spirit is adequate and more than adequate to take my feeble attempts and to speak into people's hearts. Do that this morning, O Spirit of God, for the glory of Jesus Christ and him alone. And we trust you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless. Lord bless.